ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then we start the new chapter, last time we were speaking about Surah Al-Ikhlas and Ayatul Kursi. Today then it moves on to another section which is Fadlu Talabil Ilm. The virtues of seeking knowledge. مَا مِن شَكٍ فِي أَنَّ الْإِشْتِغَالَ بِطَلَبِ الْعِلْمِ وَتَحْصِيلِهِ وَمَعْرِفَةِ الْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ وَمُدَارَسَةِ الْقُرْآنِ الْكَرِيمِ وَتَدَبُّرِهِ وَمَعْرِفَةِ سُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ صِيرَتِهِ وَأَخْبَارِهِ هُوَ خَيْرُ الذِّكْرِ وَأَفْضَلُ Remember, this whole book is about dhikr, dua, how a believer spends his time in doing the various forms of dhikr. Previously there we were talking about Ayatul Kursi, Al-Ikhlas and other parts of the Qur'an because the Qur'an is obviously a major part of dhikr, of reciting the Qur'an and focusing and pondering over the Qur'an. But also, in this chapter it mentions now, seeking knowledge is a form of dhikr. Seeking knowledge is a form of dhikr. How so? Because when you're learning about the halal and the haram, you're learning about the Qur'an, you're focusing on that, pondering over its meanings, learning about the sunnah, learning about the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, then all of that is a form of dhikr. It is a form of remembrance by going through all of that knowledge, going through the biography and the seerah of the Prophet, going through the ahadith, the sunnah, reading all of that, learning all of that, focusing on it, pondering on it, that is obviously a form of remembrance. Because learning the sunnah, it is learning your religion, it is learning about Allah, learning about Islam, learning about the halal and the haram, the sunnah and the bid'ah. So that is considered a form of dhikr. وَمَجَالِسُهُ خَيْرُ الْمَجَالِسِ And the gatherings of knowledge are the best of the gatherings. And this we all know. Gatherings of knowledge, they are the best of the gatherings. But what's important to recognize and to identify when we talk about gatherings of knowledge, what knowledge are we talking about? When the books and the scholars and the lectures, they talk about knowledge and gaining knowledge, and when they talk about the scholars and knowledge, what is the asal of knowledge? It is, as the scholars have said, knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Not, as a Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentioned, academic knowledge. That is a separate form. The knowledge that we are talking about when we say the gatherings of knowledge are the best of gatherings, 
We're not talking about academic gatherings in a university or some other educational setting. You cannot say that educational setting, that seminar where you're studying some academic subject, you are now in the best of the gatherings. That is not the one. The gatherings being spoken about here are the gatherings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Not gatherings about worldly matters, about academic matters. They are secondary affairs of knowledge. The primary affairs of knowledge are knowledge of the ayat of the Qur'an, the ahadith of the Sunnah. وَهِيَ أَفْضَلْ And these kinds of gatherings of knowledge of Qur'an, of Sunnah, of Hadith, they are better than the gatherings of tasbih and tahmeed and takbir when a person sits and recites subhanallah, alhamdulillah, allahu akbar. Doing that type of dhikr is obviously good. And it's in the Sunnah to do that dhikr at certain times, etc. And certain numbers sometimes after the prayers, etc. Yes, that is good. But the gatherings of knowledge are superior to that. Some of the Salaf, they used to say, if I stay up all night and revise my knowledge, that is more beloved to me than staying up all night and even praying. Some of the Salaf, they used to say, if I stay up all night, Revising my knowledge, the ayat that is memorized, the chapters of the Qur'an, the hadith is memorized, go through all of that. Doing that all night is more beloved to me than praying all night. Why? He said, because if I pray all night, then I get the reward for that. Sincerely, you pray all night, you get the reward for it. Nobody else gets the reward for it. But if I spend all night seeking knowledge, which is also an act of worship, I get the reward for that. But on top, other people benefit from that too. Because the knowledge that I'm learning and and revising, I can go and educate my parents, my family, my neighbors, my community. So spending the night in knowledge... They would say some of them is more beloved to me than spending it praying. Because prayer, the reward is restricted to myself. But with this knowledge, it's not restricted to myself. I can give it out to others. I can guide, help guide my family and my my friends and my neighbors and the community. So the gatherings of knowledge from that respect are even greater than the gatherings of just remembrance in terms of the tasbih, tahmeed and tahleel and takbir. وَلِهَذَا فَقَدْ ثَبَتَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي تَفْضِيلِ الْعِلْمِ وَتَقْدِيمِهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادَةِ It is therefore actually established from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that he gave priority to knowledge over just general worship. Seeking knowledge, priority over general worship. وَتَقْدِيمُ الْعَالِمُ 
العابد, and that the person of knowledge is given precedence and priority over a worshipper. Somebody who spends all of their time worshipping, excellent. But the person of knowledge is given precedence over that person. That is in the sunnah. It is mentioned in a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam authenticated by al-Sheikh al-Albani that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said وَفَضْلُ الْعَالِمِ عَلَى الْعَابِدِ كَفَضْلِ الْقَمَرِ لَيْلَةَ الْبَدْرِ عَلَى سَائِرِ الْكَوَاكِبِ The virtue of an alim, a scholar the virtue of an alim, a scholar. And when we talk about the ulama, the scholars, what is a general criteria? People say, who are the scholars? How do you become a scholar? What is the general and very broad criteria? Without details, but the general and broad criteria for somebody being called, as we say, a scholar, it is... A person who has studied the religion such that they are broadly aware of all of the affairs and the topics and the subjects of the religion. So a scholar, a sheikh, when you go to him and you ask him about some topic in fiqh, he has understanding of those fields of fiqh. An alim, a scholar, a sheikh, when you go to him and you ask him on some topic of aqidah, he will have some knowledge about the affairs of aqidah at this point. You ask him about seerah, he will know about those affairs. You ask him about any topic Islamically, an alim, a scholar, a sheikh, is somebody broadly speaking, loosely speaking, who has a wide reaching knowledge of all of the topics. You cannot call yourself a scholar, if somebody comes to you and asks you something about seerah and you don't know anything about seerah, you're just good at fiqh, for example, and you studied fiqh, but you don't know anything about seerah. How can you say you're a scholar of Islam? Or somebody comes and asks you about certain topics in tafsir of the Qur'an, and you don't know. You have no idea really about the tafsir of the Qur'an and uh, somebody comes and asks you about Surah uh, An-Nisa or Surah Tawbah, and you, you really don't have any idea. Then how can you say you're a scholar of Islam? A scholar of Islam, a scholar, an alim, is somebody who has a general understanding of the affairs. Have you ever heard of a scholar who has no idea about tafsir, or has no idea really about seerah, or no idea really about usul al-fiqh? A scholar is a person who has spent his life studying and so they have a knowledge of all of the affairs. They may not have every one of them a detailed knowledge of every single point. Some scholars are known for their advanced level in certain points. Like now in Medina, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, the father of the author, he is known for his advanced knowledge in hadith, for example. And there will be other scholars known for their advanced knowledge in certain other fields, but they will also have a good understanding, a reasonable understanding of all the other fields. So a scholar here, al-alim, that is the person who has studied and spent his life in that religion, 
learning all of the affairs of the religion, understanding the Qur'an, the Hadith, the Sunnah, in the various topics of Islam and the topics of the religion. And that's why you see, just from that very basic and loose definition of what a scholar is, that 90% of these people, if not 99% of these people who come up on YouTube and uh, Facebook and Instagram and all these other things now in your phones, 99% of them are not even close to being a scholar. Calling themselves scholars now, scholars in the West. And in reality, they don't have that knowledge. They don't have that depth in their knowledge. Somebody can finish a degree finish a four-year degree at the University of Medina, finish a four-year master's, a PhD, and you're just about scraping the surface now. You finish a PhD and you're just scraping the surface now. You're getting somewhere now. Prior to that, these people, they don't even have the first level, many of them, on YouTube and here and there and everywhere. They don't even have the first level. They've never even gone and studied a degree in Islamic studies. They've never done any proper studying with any of the scholars or people of knowledge in Islamic studies. So how have they become scholar now on YouTube, everyone, mufti and scholar and all these affairs? So here the Prophet ﷺ says the reality of a scholar, a person of knowledge, fadlul alim, ala al-abid, upon a general worshipper, Someone who's not a person of knowledge, but he worships and worships. The virtue of a scholar over a general worshipper is like the virtue of the full moon on a night when it's a full, bright, big moon upon the rest of the stars in the sky. On a night when you have a full moon bright, full, huge moon in the sky. You can barely even see the tiny other stars in the rest of the sky. That is the example given, the virtue of an alim, of a scholar, over and above the worshippers, general worshippers. And that's why it's so important to return back to the scholars in our affairs, and why we always learn these kinds of principles because one of the main factors that distinguishes Ahlul Sunnah from Ahlul Bid'ah is this point of returning back to the scholars. Because the people of innovation don't do that. They don't return back to scholars. They do whatever their intellects tell them. Whatever they think is good and their intellect tells them, their own logic tells them, they give that priority as is known from the people of innovation from the olden times, why did the majority of them, if not all of them, go astray when it came to aqidah, when it came to names and attributes, because of taqdeemul aqal ala naqal, they gave their intellect priority over the texts. They saw something in the Qur'an, some ayah about some point in aqidah, about names or attributes, but their intellect and their logic didn't sit right with it. They said, how can that be? How can we claim or say this about Allah? It doesn't make sense. So then what did they do? Reject that and give priority to what makes sense to them. So they either distort what they are reading into something which makes sense for them, into something which will match up with their intellect and their logic, 
And so that's why the Salaf, they said, or the scholars, they mentioned, the people of innovation went astray because of taqdeemul aqal ala naqal. They gave their intellects priority over the texts. And they went astray. So, returning back to Ahlul Ilm, to the scholars, it is one of the, the, the core methods of seeking knowledge that you return back to those who are at the level of knowledge that we simply are not. The level of knowledge where some of these scholars have been learning for 50, 60, 70 years. A Sheikh Al-Fawzan now is either 89 or 90 years old. 89 or 90 approximately. 90 years. He's been studying since he was maybe what? 5, 6, 7 years old. 80 years. 8 decades of studying Islam. 8 decades of reading hadith. Reading Quran, reading this point, that point. Imagine how much information you've gone through in eight decades of knowledge. 70 years, 80 years. A scholar now at the age of 89, studying since the age of nine even say. 80 years of studying knowledge. And what have we done? One year, what, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years. Graduate from the Medina University, six years. Six years compared to 80 years. That's why a graduate is not a sheikh. And that a Sheikh Al-Fawzan is a Sheikh. There's a difference. Six years to 80 years. You're telling me there's no difference? 80 years of knowledge and studying. 80 years of going through Bukhari, going through Muslim. Imagine. It's like when we say now, why is it that if I ask anybody in this room, recite Al-Fatiha, anybody in this room could do it right now. Right now, if I randomly pick someone, is it not true? Any single person in this room right now could recite Al-Fatiha, no problem. No problem. Why? One of the reasons, because every day in your life you keep re- repeating it and reciting it. So you never forget it. So imagine now, a scholar, 80 years, every day of his life, 80 years going through the Hadith, going through Bukhari, going through Muslim, going through the Quran and the Ayat. That repetition and that Depth in the knowledge, that's what distinguishes, distinguishes the levels. So here, Fadlul Alim, Ala Al-Abid, the virtue of a scholar over a worshipper is like the virtue of a full moon compared to the other stars in the sky. وَقَدْ تَضَمَّنَ هَذَا الْحَدِيثَ مَثَلًا بَدِيعًا يَتَّضِحُ مِنْ خِلَالِهِ مَدَى الْفَرْقِ بين العالم والعابد حيث شبه صلى الله عليه وسلم العالم بالقمر ليلة البدر أي ليلة الخامس عشر والتي فيها يكون نهاية كمال القمر وتمام نوره وشبه العابد بالكواكب So this is a tremendous example that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم gave to give you a clear understanding of the difference of a person of knowledge Someone who studies their religion compared to someone who doesn't generally just worships and has a general knowledge but no detailed knowledge of their religion. The example of the difference of the moon on a full night, the huge moon you see it in the sky, compared to the tiny stars in the distance. And Imam Ibn Rajab, Rahimahullah Ta'ala said, وَالسِّرُّ فِي ذَلِكَ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ أن الكواكب ضوء ضوءه لا يعدو نفسه 
وأما القمر ليلة البدر فإن نوره يشرق على أهل الأرض جميعا فيعمهم نوره فيستضيئون بنوره ويهتدون به في سيرهم وفي سيرهم وإنما قال على سائر الكواكب ولم يقل على سائر النجوم لأن الكواكب هي التي تسير ولا يهتدى بها فهي بمنزلة العابد الذي نفعه مقصور على نفسه Ibn Rajab said, maybe one of the reasons why this example has been given about the moon and the other stars is because stars, due to their distance, etc., the amount of light that comes off stars, enough to make them glow, enough to be able to see them sparkling in the sky, but is it enough light to actually give you light here? On a pitch black night, where there's no moon, just the stars are out, would the stars actually create light? Whereas the moon, when it's on a full night, the moon, when it's a full moon, you actually get physical, actual light. You can see in the pitch black of the night, the moon is actually giving light. You can see from the light of the moon. So the one difference there is, the stars, their light is limited to themselves. They aren't providing light down here. Whereas the full moon like that, it does actually provide enough light that even here, that light comes down enough for us to use it and see and to be guided and to work out our pathways. And that's like the servant, the person who's just a worshipper, he benefits himself and doesn't benefit others. His worship is for himself. He gets the reward. But the alim worships and also spreads his knowledge and teaches the people. So he's like the moon, giving out the light to others also. فَدَلَّ الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى تَفْضِيلِ الْعِلْمِ عَلَى الْعِبَادَةِ تَفْضِيلًا بَيِّنًا وثبت عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في مستدرك الحاكم غير من حديث سعد بن بوقاص رضي الله عنه أنه قال فضل العلم أحب إلي من فضل العبادة وخير دينكم الورع It is mentioned that سعد بن بوقاص one of the companions سعد بن بوقاص رضي الله عنه said the virtue of knowledge is more beloved to me than the virtue of worship. The virtue of knowledge is more beloved to me than the virtue of worship. Fadlu al-ilm ahabu ilayya min fadli al-ibadah. وَمِمَّا يَدُلُّ عَلَى تَفْضِيلِ الْعِلْمِ عَلَى جَمِيعِ النَّوَافِلِ وَالْمُسْتَحَبَّاتِ بِمَا فِيهَا الذِّكْرِ أَنَّ الْعِلْمَ يَجْمَعُ جَمِيعَ فَضَائِلِ الْعَمَالِ الْمُتَفَرِّقَةِ One of the other reasons why knowledge is superior to nafal acts of worship and just general mustahab acts of worship is because knowledge encompasses all of those details, all of those nafal and those optional and mustahab actions, where do you learn them all from? From seeking knowledge. So it's as though knowledge encompasses all of the other affairs, 
Knowledge is the one that encompasses every other matter. It is mentioned from Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiyallahu anhu, that the Messenger sallallahu said, تَعَلَّمُ الْعِلْمَ فَإِنَّ تَعَلُّمَهُ خَشْيَةً وَطَلَبَهُ عِبَادَةً وَمُذَاكَرَتَهُ تَسْبِيحٌ وَالْبَحْثَ عَنْهُ جِهَادٌ وَتَعْلِيمَهُ لِمَنْ, لم ي... لمن لَا يَعْلَمُهُ صَدَاقَةٌ وَبَذْلَهُ لِأَهْلِهِ قُرْبَةٌ لِأَنَّهُ مَعَالِمَ الْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ وَمَنَارْ سَبِيلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ وَهُوَ الْأُنْسُ فِي الْوَحْشَةِ وَصَاحِبُ فِي الْغُرْبَةِ It actually carries on a long way. And this narration at the beginning says that the messenger mentioned Learn knowledge. تَعَلَّمُ الْعِلْمَ Learn this knowledge. فَإِنَّ تَعَلَّمَهُ خَشْيَةً for indeed learning it gives you that khashya, that, that type of fear. Because once you learn knowledge and you realize the severity of the punishment of those who oppose the commandments, the punishment of the hellfire, the punishment of the grave, you start learning those things and the greatness and the might and the majesty of Allah, then all of that, it creates within you a level of fear that a person who doesn't have any of that knowledge would not have. That's why Allah said in the Quran, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَةِ The ones who truly fear Allah from His servants, even though everybody will say they fear Allah, but the ones who truly fear Allah are the ulama, the scholars, the people of knowledge. Because they are the ones who truly understand who their Lord is, the might and the majesty and the power of Allah, the punishment that awaits those who oppose the commands, so they will have a greater degree of fear. So the Prophet ﷺ said, learn this knowledge, it will give you that khashya. And learning it and seeking it, talabahu ibadah. It is an act of worship. It is an act of worship. Do not think right now this reading and learning, that this isn't worship, you should go be praying instead. This is an act of worship in and of itself. This is an act of worship in and of itself, the seeking of knowledge. And revision of the knowledge and going over that knowledge, reviewing that knowledge, it is tasbih. It is as though you are glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you're going to be coming across the ayat, you're going to be coming across the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the revelation in the sunnah, hadith, qudsi, etc, etc. So that revision of the knowledge, it is as though you are glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَالْبَحْثَ عَنْهُ jihad, And seeking it, searching for it, researching in it, it's a form of jihad. Jihad means striving. When you're seeking knowledge and you're looking for answers and you're you're trying to work out the rulings of the religion, this is a form of striving. You are striving in that path. You are putting your effort into that path of gaining that knowledge and learning the details, what is halal, what is haram. This is all from the great affairs. And then teaching that knowledge to those who don't have it, the Prophet ﷺ said, is a form of charity. It is a form of sadaqah. 
that you then teach that knowledge to others who do not have it. وَبَدْلَهُ لِأَهْلِهِ And disseminating that to its people is a form of gaining closeness to Allah. Dissemination of that is a form of closeness to Allah. The putting of the effort, placing your effort into that and seeking it and disseminating it. That is worship and closeness to Allah. لأنه معالم الحلال والحرام because this knowledge that is where all of the details are of what is halal and what is haram this knowledge of the religion is what determines for you what is halal and what is haram ومنار سبيل أهل الجنة and it is like the 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 light post a lamp post with light guiding you Towards paradise, it is the guide for the people of paradise. And this knowledge, it is something that gives you, consoles you in times of isolation. This knowledge, it is something that consoles you and comforts you at times of isolation. This is the knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Al-Shaykh Muqbil, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, one of the scholars who died now, he used to say whenever he felt down, there was some worldly matter that was going on, some issue that was happening, he said he would just go and open up a book of hadith and start reading, قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Start reading the speech of the Prophet ﷺ, the hadith, the Sunnah. And he said that would bring comfort to my heart from the issues that were going on. That would give me tranquility from the issues that were going on, whatever the issues may be. So, وَهُوَ It brings you comfort in times of desertion, isolation, loneliness. وَصَاحِبُ فِي And this knowledge is your companion when you are alone and in isolation and separate and away from the people when you're in isolation you're in a strange land you've gone away somewhere you have no company with you this knowledge is your company this knowledge is with you and that's why they say the reality of knowledge knowledge is what the chest contains knowledge is not what is in the book the reality of knowledge is what you have learnt and memorized and it's in there. So wherever you go, it's with you. Wherever you go, that knowledge you've learnt is with you. Whereas the book cannot always be with you. The devices, the batteries run out. But here, what you have memorized, that knowledge, al-ilmu ma hawa sadr. Knowledge is what your chest contains. That's the reality of knowledge. These days, that's another distinguishing factor. All the muftis on YouTube, all the sheikhs and the, the great scholars, mashallah, on YouTube, they do not have barely anything from this knowledge. All of their knowledge, Google here, Google there, encyclopedia here, other forms of pressing buttons and Googling everywhere, getting information, getting fatwas, and then reading them out on YouTube as though you know all of this information. 
Anybody can Google and press buttons and press enter. Anybody can do that and find fatwas and find rulings. That doesn't mean you've got knowledge now. And this is the reality of the majority of them. The majority of them have no knowledge in reality. They make it appear as though they have knowledge via this type of research. Google here, Google there, press enter here, press enter there. And you can get even Islamic, like Islamic versions of Google to make it easy to understand. There are CDs called Al-Maktaba Al-Shamila, for example. You can get CDs with all of the hadith books in there. So you could type in there some research, some search item. And that CD, it gives you exactly straight away which hadith, which Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawud, straight away. Press enter, gives you all the, all the answers straight away. No research, no nothing. Just type it in, press enter, all the answers are there. So these people now come on YouTube just having done that, nothing else. Nothing else. Bits here, bits there, Google here, Google there. Enter here, enter there. Get the information together, make it look like you've done some great research and you've gone and sat in the libraries and gone through the books and spent hours and hours as a student is supposed to do. None of that. Sitting at home on the computer, enter, enter, enter. MashaAllah, make it look like you've done some great research. And then come on YouTube, Mufti such and such talks about the topic of X, Y, and Z. And reality doesn't know anything about that topic. Mufti such and such comes and his fatwa about this issue or that issue. And all he's done is gone and checked what Sheikh bin Ba said, read out his fatwa on YouTube without even saying anything about this is the fatwa of Sheikh bin Baz or the fatwa of such and such. He answers the, I've seen this myself, answers the question, gives the answer, and I know, I've, I've read it for example, I've, uh, I've seen examples, where I know everything he has said there is directly from the fatwa of Sheikh bin Baz, almost word for word. But he won't say that. He'll sit there as though he knew the answer himself, They'll sit there, okay, next question then, and the question comes that there's a listener who's asking about such and such, and then he gives out an answer, mashallah, just miraculously having memorized everything Sheikh bin Baz says about that topic. And they don't want to accept that the reality is they don't have knowledge. I've seen English translations. I've seen English translations where people translate, uh, no, no, don't call it translation. I've seen English documents where people have written about certain topics, certain fatwas about Islam, about this topic, that topic, and they've written certain documents. Oh, from years ago. I remember seeing one 20 years ago. And they've written all this research in there, and uh, uh, in this issue you have to do this, and that issue you have to do that. And you think, mashallah, he's got a lot of information here. I remember reading one 20 years ago. But coincidentally... Just coincidence. I remember having read that either before or after I came across the exact same material in one of the books of the scholars. Word for word. He had basically translated from the sheikh, from one of the scholars, into his research paper without... It wasn't a research paper, it was a translation of a book. And he put that down in there as a footnote, as though it's his own footnote but it was word for word a translation from one of the scholars and he hadn't referenced it. To make it look like that, this is my footnote, I'm giving you some extras here, extras here, yes, this point, what the sheikh intends is X, Y, and Z, and the reality is all that footnote was a direct translation from one of the books. I coincidentally came across it another time and I realized that's what he's done. This particular author, 20 years ago, a long time ago, I remember seeing this example. And there are many examples like that, you'll see many of them.
Many of these people now they'll come and they'll give you fatwas about this and fatwa session online, fatwa uh, of such and such mufti this mufti that sheikh this sheikh that, and they've got them pre-prepared, and they answer all the questions from the fatwas they found from this sheikh and that sheikh, actual mashayikh, actual scholars, but they won't actually reference or say that this is what sheikh such and such said, such and such said. They'll give it as though they are the researchers themselves. They are the sheikh themselves. They are the mufti themselves. And they are giving this knowledge out. And they are quoting that hadith. And in reality, all they've done is copied directly, plagiarized. Plagiarized, basically. So there's a big difference. There's a big difference between a person who understands this knowledge and learns it, and between the modern day muftis that are everywhere, every corner you turn. Probably thousands of them here in Leeds. So then, he mentions also in this narration, وَالْمُحَدِّثُ فِي الْخَلْوَةِ Knowledge is the one who sits and talks with you when you're by yourself. It is your companion who talks to you when you're by yourself. How so? The hadith that you remember, the ayat that you remember, and you quote and you recite the Qur'an, it talks to you when you're alone. وَالدَّلِيلُ عَلَى This is important too. The knowledge is your guide to happiness and sadness. What is the method of achieving happiness for a believer? That will be found within knowledge. What is the method of achieving or ending up in sadness? That will be mentioned within that knowledge. So it guides you to happiness and protects you from sadness. وَالسِّلَاحُ عَلَى الْأَعْدَاءِ And this knowledge is a weapon against the enemies. The enemies who want to attack Islam, the enemies who speak bad of Islam, the people of innovation who spread doubts and evils about Islam. This knowledge is a weapon against all of that misguidance. It continues with many points in the narration, in fact. يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ بِهِ أَقْوَامًا فَيَجْعَلُهُمْ فِي الْخَيْرِ قَادَةً وَإِمَّةً Allah raises the people of knowledge. And we mentioned that at the beginning in the introduction lecture we did. Allah raises the people who have knowledge uh, and others they then follow in their footsteps and they are role models for others. Uh, and it is mentioned about the angels. Those who are seeking knowledge the person who is treading upon the path to knowledge, that the angels, they come and they lower their wings. They lower their wings before a talibul ilm, before a student of knowledge in pleasure for what he is doing. وَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ لَتَضَعُ أَجْنِحَتَهَا لِطَالِبِ الْعِلْمِ رِضًا بِمَا يَصْنَعُ The angels lower their wings before a student of knowledge in pleasure for what he is doing. Seeking knowledge of the Qur'an and seeking knowledge of the sunnah. وَيَسْتَغْفِرُ لَهُمْ And it is mentioned in the narrations how even the fish in the sea seek forgiveness for the student of knowledge, for the ones who are seeking the knowledge. And remember, when we talk about terms like student of knowledge, everybody can be a student of knowledge in terms of the fact that they are striving to learn knowledge and to seek knowledge, striving to attend the classes, to learn the hadith, to learn the knowledge, to make the notes, to revise over them. That is from the path of seeking knowledge. 
Because knowledge, it is the life of the hearts from ignorance. Ignorance is death of the heart. Knowledge is life of the heart that removes that ignorance. And it is the masabih, the lights that enlighten your eyesight from the darkness. يَبْلُغُ الْعَبْدُ بِالْعِلْمِ مَنَازِلَ الْأَخْيَارِ وَالدَّرَجَاتِ الْعُلَى فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ A person reaches via this knowledge the levels, the high levels. A person, a believer, reaches the high levels with this knowledge and in this world and the afterlife. وَالتَّفَكُّرُ فِيهِ يَعْدِلُ الصَّيَامِ وَمُدَارَسَتُهُ تَعْدِلُ الْقِيَامِ So thinking about this knowledge and pondering over it, it is like equivalent to fasting. Great reward in it. And studying it is equivalent to praying the night. Just like some of the Salaf said, more beloved to me to study the knowledge and revise it than to pray all night. وَبِهِ ah. And also with knowledge, you tie, the, you connect the uh, ties of kinship. Through knowledge, you connect the ties of kinship. And you know what is halal and what is haram. And knowledge is imamul amal. It is your guide to your actions. It's the imam. Knowledge is the imam. What does imam mean? A person that you... Follow, the imam is there to be followed. إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيُقْتَدَى بِهِ أو لِيُؤْتَمَّ بِهِ The imam is the one that you follow. So the hadith says, knowledge is your imam. You follow your knowledge. Your actions are done upon the knowledge that you have. So al-amal tabi'a, the actions, they follow behind the knowledge that you have. يَلْهَمُهُ السُعَدَى وَيُحْرِمُهُ الْأَشْقِيَاءِ That the people who are given goodness and happiness in this world and the afterlife, they are inspired toward this knowledge. It is opened up for them. Those who are decreed happiness and goodness and guidance, this knowledge is opened up for them. But al-ashqiyya, the miserable ones, then for them this knowledge is closed off. They are deprived from this knowledge. To not have this knowledge is a deprivation. To have this knowledge is where the happiness lies. So that's why a person has to understand the importance of this knowledge. This particular narration, it is uh, mentioned by uh, some of the scholars as a hadith on Hasanun. Uh, however, some of them mentioned the chain of narration may not be strong. But the points that are mentioned in there, they are all valid. All of these points are valid in terms of the virtues of knowledge, no doubt about that. The virtues of knowledge. And some of the scholars, they mentioned it is a hadithun hasanun jiddan, nevertheless anyway, that it is a good, uh, strong narration. It is in Jami' Bayanul Ilm, uh, in uh, the first volume, page 65. So this chapter it is highlighting the importance of knowledge and how that is a means of the dhikr of Allah. Through knowledge, you are remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Al-Imam Ahmad, he was asked a question. أَيُّمَا أَحَبُّ إِلَيْكَ أَنْ أُصَلِّيَ بِاللَّيْلِ تَطَوُّعًا أَوْ أَجْلِسَ أَنْسَخَ الْعِلْمِ قَالْ إِذَا كُنْتَ تَنْسَخْ مَا تَعْلَمْ مِنْ أَمْرِ دِينِكَ فَهُوَ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ Somebody asked Al-Imam Malik, what do you think is more beloved? Or what is more beloved to you? That I should pray the whole night, sunnah prayers, qiyam al-layl, etc. Or that I should sit there copying out my knowledge, working on my knowledge, the hadith and the chains of narration they used to do. He said, Imam Ahmed said, if you are going to copy out what you know from the affairs of your religion, you're going to work on your knowledge, then that is more beloved to me. قَالَ أَيْضًا Imam Ahmed said also, الْعِلْمُ لَا يَعْدِلُهُ شَيْءٍ There is nothing comparable and equal to knowledge. There is nothing comparable and equal to knowledge. And that's why a person, a believer, has to understand the importance of this knowledge. And when we say knowledge, we're not talking about academic knowledge. We're not talking about geography. We're not talking about mathematics. We're not talking about even the other affairs, medicine or whatever it may be. That isn't the knowledge here. The knowledge here is the ayat, the ahadith, the sunnah, your religion, halal, haram, sunnah, bid'ah. This is the core of the knowledge. Al-ilm, al-nafi'ah. The beneficial knowledge. Because there is a difference between knowledge and beneficial knowledge. There is knowledge... You could go and learn about all types of things. Go pick up one of the Britannica encyclopedias, how much different type of knowledge is in there. All the different things about animals and birds and species and all types of things. But is that al-ilmu nafi' Do you really benefit if somebody sat down and memorized the Britannica? Alright, so they'll be considered as a genius and this and that, and they've got knowledge about all these things and species and animals and blah, blah, blah. But what have you really benefited from that? What are you going to do with that for your religion? You've memorized the encyclopedia, mashallah, you know, all these different things and designs of aeroplanes and throughout history and everything in there. But how does that really benefit you in your religion? Memorizing Britannica, for example, how does it benefit you in your worship? So that isn't going to be al-ilmu nafi' for the amount of time it would take you to sit there and memorize the Britannica, the 20 volumes, big thing. The amount of time you would spend on that, then have you really benefited from that time, hours, months, years maybe, studying all of that for what reason? This doesn't mean that a person abandons the academic knowledge. Of course, you study it. People, they do their GCSEs, A-levels, degrees. Of course, you can do that because that is a means of uh, earning your income, feeding your family, fulfilling your responsibilities. No problem. But the point is, you have to distinguish between this knowledge that is being spoken about here and that knowledge. That knowledge is a secondary affair that you need to earn your income, etc. It's needed. It can be done. No problem. Good. But this knowledge is the knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah. They say, Al-Aslu fil ilm, ilmu sharia. The origin of knowledge is the knowledge of the sharia. So here, all of these narrations are talking about the importance of that knowledge. And so everybody should think about those kinds of narrations there. And how, in fact, seeking knowledge is a means of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that point for today then. Any questions up to there?
Huh. Um, if you're giving dawa to someone and they've had a, a difficult childhood or a traumatic childhood where they were like abused by their parents and they had a so-called Muslim family but not really practicing. So if they come to you and say that uh, if, uh, if there was a God then why would he make me go through so much torture and uh, you know a difficult past? So how do we respond to that? <coughs> there are millions of people in the world who probably, not probably, definitely will have faced ten times this so-called torture that he has faced. He lived in a house, he had a roof over his head, he had uh, food, water, clothes. A person only looks at his own situation and he thinks this is so bad. And there are others far, far, far worse than his own situation for a start. So for a person to say, why would I be going through all of this? First, he said to him, you've been going through a, an amount of blessing that others in this world have never even seen or smelt. The amount of blessing you went through in your life so far, look at it from that side of the angle instead of the way you're looking at it for a start. You're looking at it, uh, all this uh, difficulty I've been through and the hard life I've been through. But uh, have you ever... Uh, uh, lived on the street with nothing to eat for three days have you uh, uh, had war and your parents shot in front of you have you had all of these things that millions of others had in reality look at your situation the other way you have had even with the difficulties you're talking about a number of blessings that millions in the world have never experienced you are ten times more blessed than so many others in the world for a start that's one thing because a person should not be ungrateful for what he has. He should not sit there and say, why this difficulty, that difficulty, and the reality is, there are millions who are in ten times the difficulty you are in. For them, they look at you and they say, what a blessing that person. If only I could be in his situation. And you say, oh difficulty, this difficulty, that. So do not be from the ungrateful in your affairs and what you've been given. But on top of that, it's a very weak understanding for a person to have that type of mentality. The reality is all of this life is a test. And if these things have happened to that person, these are tests he's been given. Just like other people have been given tests. And these tests, when you compare them to the tests of the prophets and messengers, then they are nothing. The most tested of the people are the prophets. They were the ones who were tested and tried with difficulties and calamities. Not you and your situation you're talking about. So the reality is, a person needs to stop and think for a moment that these are tests and trials from Allah. On top of that, in reality, he's in a level of blessing millions would love to be in. If only he thought about that instead of the difficulties he always thinks about. So there are many affairs, but this indicates that a person doesn't have much understanding of knowledge. For a person to be this weak in his understanding why this happened to me and that happened to me and not really thinking about the decree of Allah and how the prophets and messengers and companions, the difficulties they went through, starving some of them to such a degree they would have nothing to eat for days. Starving their family. Some of the salaf, they had one garment. What you're wearing right now, imagine that was the only clothes you have all together in the world. There were some from the Salaf, they had one pair of clothes. One pair of clothes, nothing else. 
And people now they say the difficulties I went through and this happening and that happening, you got a wardrobe full of clothes, mashallah. Compared to the things that they went through and the difficulties they went through, a person isn't really going through much when you start th- looking at things in comparison and relative to other affairs. But it's because of the weakness in knowledge. It's because of the weakness in knowledge, weakness of understanding the names and attributes of Allah, the mercy of Allah, the forgiveness of Allah, weakness in understanding these affairs that a person talks like that. So he needs to slowly start building up with his knowledge and understanding and building up his iman. Then he will have a better understanding of those issues. Anybody else? Mm. So obviously there is there are uh, ages that are mentioned within the religion as as um, markings or signposts. There is the age of tamiz, for example, that is the age of distinction. When a child is very young, it cannot distinguish. The child cannot distinguish between things. Uh, a very young child, you show it water, you show it fire doesn't know, it's stop putting his hands in the fire. doesn't distinguish. This is dangerous, this is okay. It doesn't know. A young child doesn't distinguish between things. But then they get to an age where they start to understand. They start to understand the world around them. That's known as the age of distinction, the age of tamiz. They start understanding things, how you know the world works, and this is a shop, and you go in there, you can't just take it, you have to go and pay the person behind the counter, then you take these items. They start understanding the world and how things work. That's known as the age of distinction. That can be age six, seven, five, six, seven, the age of distinction when a child starts working things out and how things happen, how things work. That's the age of tamiz. Then after that, you have the age of bulur, puberty. When a child goes through the age of puberty, that will be 10, 11, 12, 13. So separating between the boys and the girls is going to be somewhere in between those. Before the age of distinction, obviously no separation required. Young, little children, 3 years, 4 years, 5 years, they don't even have distinction of affairs yet, then no separation is required there. But beyond that now, then at some stage, it's going to get to a level now where their distinction of things starts to become more and more and more to the extent that they now start to distinguish between men and women and the different affairs. So that, I mean, you would expect, it's not an answer in terms of a hadith, but a general general type of way that most of the people practice, age 7, 8, 9, somewhere around about there, you would now say that really the boys should not be going into the women's areas I mean, if you get to about 10, then certainly you're, you're getting to the boundaries now. 9 may be pushing it as well, but 7, 8, 9, 8, 9, around there somewhere, you would say it is suitable now to split uh, between them and not to allow the boys that are 9 or 10, definitely 10, 11, that age, they shouldn't be going into the women's sides any further. There's no fixed age. You cannot say it's a fixed number. But somewhere around about there, everybody makes their distinction in their mosque or their organization, eight years, nine years, whatever that age they set, and then everybody should implement that. Anybody else?
Alright, we'll conclude upon that for today. Resume next week, inshallah, 8.30 p.m.